Let's look at lesson 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been noticing the Apostle Paul up to this point. He's been focusing on the main issue of his credibility with the Corinthians. Remember, the Corinthians were being deceived. Basically, they were listening to lies as these false teachers in their midst were talking about the Apostle Paul and suggesting that he wasn't a true apostle and maybe that he even was teaching them wrongly because he didn't stress the law per se, as they would stress the law, that is the Old Testament law, the Jewish law. And so the Apostle, for most of the epistle that we've been looking at here, it's been an underlying issue throughout the epistle as we've looked at it, but for most of the epistle has been really hitting on the issue of credibility, about his credibility. And so what they've done is they've forced him to boast about who he is, because that's what these false teachers were doing. These false teachers, when they were coming in their midst, were boasting about who they are or what their credentials were so that they could have people pay attention to them. Well, the apostle says, okay, if you want me to boast, I'll boast too. But notice what he boasts about. Last week we saw that he boasts about his trials. What he has endured for the sake of the gospel. And so he's going to continue to boast about his trials. Specifically, what we know as as the thorn in the flesh. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So I want you to notice, first of all, Paul's going to share with them, tell them a story about a guy. He's actually talking about himself. But he's going to tell them a story about a man who had some visions and revelations. So I want you to notice with me verses 1 to 6 of chapter 12. It is doubtless... Not profitable for me to boast, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for me, for, for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Okay, so let's look at several different things here. The first thing I want you to notice is that uh, the Corinthians had a concern for visions. And Paul stated, it is not profitable, first of all, for him to boast in verse 1. It's not profitable for him to spend his time boasting. It wasn't profitable for him to do that. He had too much else to do. He had too much else to focus on with them. In fact, it's, you know, the fact that he would even have to spend his time in a letter establishing his credentials with them is almost sad, isn't it? Because they should have known who he was in the first place because he was their spiritual father. Their spiritual father. And 
In fact, I was, you know, I was looking in 1 Corinthians this week in my, in my study, because actually I, I prepare lessons ahead of time. So after Proverbs, we're going to do 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 4, Paul says, you have many teachers in Christ, but you only have one Father. They only had one spiritual Father. And Paul says, you know, it, it's not profitable for me to spend this time boasting about who I am. Like, does he really need to boast? Like, I mean, he was among them. So he says now that he will come to the issue of visions and revelations that they are focused on. See, they were fixated on this whole issue of visions. They were fixated on this whole issue of revelations. And he says, okay, if you, I'm not going to boast, but if you want to talk about visions and revelations, let me deal with this issue. So then, in verses 2 to 4 now, He's going to talk about a man in Christ. Now, the way he writes this, scholars very much believe that Paul is talking about himself. Because he's a humble man, he doesn't want to say this. But the whole time frame of when he's writing and everything, this fits with what Paul might have experienced. And so he's talking about himself, but he talks about it in, in reference to a third party, another man. But he's really talking about himself. So, first thing I want you to notice in verse 2 is this is that Paul tells of a man who was caught up to the third heaven. Caught up to the third heaven. Now, the third heaven is a dwelling place for Christ and the saints, which Jesus called paradise. That's what he's speaking of here. He was caught up to the third heaven. In, in, In their ancient mindset, when you looked at the sky, that was the heavens. At night, the stars, that was another level of heavens. The third heavens was the abode of God. The abode of God. That's where God dwelt. And so he's saying here in verse 2 that, you know, rather than boasting, as you, you guys are fixated on this revelation stuff, I'm going to tell you about a guy who was taken to where God dwells. To the third heaven. So then he talks about the nature of his revelation. Verse 3, he says this. Paul does not understand how this experience took place. Notice what he says in verse 3. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So he had some sort of an experience, whether it was a physical experience or whether it was a spiritual experience. He doesn't understand what took place. He just knows that this man, which is himself, was taken to the... to paradise, to, to heaven with God. So he says that he doesn't understand the nature of the revelation, but he knows that it took place. And so then he says in verse 4, he has a vision of the paradise. And so here's what he writes. He says that Paul had a vision of paradise which he was forbidden to speak about. He had a vision of paradise which he was forbidden to speak about. So, whatever he sees, he's not allowed to express that. Now, you're probably thinking, you're saying to yourself, really? Yeah. I can think of one other place. We just went through the book of Revelation before 2 Corinthians. Remember when John, in his vision, of course, he was taken to the throne room of God and he sees things concerning what will take place in the future? And one of the instances, one of the chapters, talks about that John hears the voice of seven thunders speak. 
And the scripture records that he was getting ready to write down what these voices of seven thunders were saying. And immediately as he's beginning to write these down, an angel tells him not to write it down. He was forbidden from revealing what those voices were saying. Now, let me ask you something. Here we've got Paul. He sees a vision. He can't tell you what he sees. He's forbidden to tell you what he hears and sees. We've got John, who in his revelation is telling us what God wants us to know concerning the future, but he hears something and he's not allowed to tell you what he hears. What does that tell us? Okay, it's beyond our imagination. All right, that's good, Mike. But what else does it tell us? There's something practical here. Yeah, we don't need to know everything. And the fact of the matter is, is we don't know, even though we have the revealed Word of God. When it comes to what is in the future and what awaits us, especially when it comes to what is in heaven, does God reveal a lot about that to us? No. In fact, it's interesting. Theologians say this, that the New Testament actually reveals more about hell than it reveals to you about heaven. The New Testament actually reveals to you more about what awaits the person who is lost, who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, what they will endure in hell, than what it says about heaven. In fact, what it says about heaven is is that it will use descriptions such as it will be beyond your comprehension. You can't even imagine what it will be like, the Apostle says at one point. So what we see here is not uncommon. It's not uncommon... I mean, it does reveal to us in Revelation some pictures of what it's going to be like, but you don't know all of what it's going to be like, do you? All we know is it's going to be wonderful. And so Paul has this vision of paradise that he's forbidden to speak about. And so here's what he's saying. Then he says, okay, you want me to boast? I'll boast. Paul will boast of such an experience in the third person. See, he feels unworthy that he was even allowed to experience this. So if he's going to talk about it, he's going to remove him from even being involved in it. So he talks about it in the third person. There's humility there. There's humility. There's humility. He, In fact, this is something that Paul's emphasizing with the Corinthians over and over. In the first letter, as well as in this letter, that he's emphasizing to them, follow his example. What's his example? An example of humility. He doesn't take pride in the fact that this happens. He's, he's awed by that fact that God would do that for him. But he's humbled by that. And so then rather this, Paul says this, he would rather focus and boast of his weaknesses. How many would you, how many of you like to do that? How many of you like to brag about your problems? Anybody? We don't brag about our problems, do we? We brag about our accomplishments. We brag about what, you know, look at my garden. Look at how great my garden looks. Or we brag about, boy, look at how my kids did at this. And we, we brag about positive things, don't we? Yeah, in fact, we don't like, how many of you like to hang around somebody who brags about their problems? How many of you like to hang around somebody who's constantly, in fact, we don't use the word brag. We use another word, don't we? Yeah, complain. That's right, Betty. Complain. How many of you like to hang around somebody who complains? 
Nobody? Nobody wants to hang around them? In fact, it's a great way to clear out a room, isn't it? Bring in a chronic complainer and watch how people just kind of find an excuse to what? Leave. And if they can't find an excuse, let's say they get cornered, everybody else says, oh, poor so-and-so, they've been cornered. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? So what I want you to see is that Paul says the exact opposite. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Now, we're going to get ready to talk about his weakness here. And notice something. Uh, just one more point here. What really matters to Paul? Verse 6, Paul would rather speak about the truth than focus on boasting. Verse 6, Paul would rather speak the truth than focus on boasting, what he considers to be foolish. And so the rest of our time here, we're going to look at this whole issue of his thorn. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Everybody wants to experience Christ in a wonderful way. Is that true? Everybody wants to experience Christ in a wonderful way? Correct? And we, we, we live for the experiences, do we not? Let's just be honest. Answered prayer and all of that. What you're going to see here with the illustration of the Apostle, everybody recognize that probably the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest Christians of the New Testament era. Everybody agree? Wrote half of the New Testament. Wrote half of the New Testament himself. His influence was obviously there with Luke, who was his companion, who wrote the book of Acts. And half of the book of Acts deals with who? Paul. And some say that the writer of Hebrews, some say it's Paul. I don't necessarily think it's Paul, but obviously of somebody who had connections with that Pauline circle there of people, because he talks about Timothy in that letter. So obviously this, this is a significant person. We would think of him as a super-Christian, would we not? Great God. And so when we read about him being taken to heaven and having that wonderful experience, in our mind we're thinking, yes, because he's the apostle. That, that just kind of fits with who he is. There's, a, there's something I want you to notice here, because he's going to say it here in a moment, is that is, is that as we seek to have these wonderful experiences with God, they go hand in hand with something else. Anybody know what they are? The wonderful experiences with God that we all seek go hand in hand. Problems. Trials. You understand? We're going to see it here in a minute. See, as we seek these wonderful experiences from God and the blessing of God in our lives, and this is what I think is hard for us in our culture today to grasp, Because when we have problems, we think something's wrong. Is that not true? When we have problems, we think maybe God's not loving me anymore or God's displeased with me anymore. And really the nature of the world in which we live in is that. Problems. You're not exempt from problems. In fact, let's just say this about problems. The only issue with problems is when are they going to happen? Is that not true? The only issue with problems is the question of when they're going to happen. But I want you to notice something about the Apostle because he says, I don't want to focus on that stuff to brag about. You want me to brag? I'm going to brag to you about my problem. And so let's read what his problem is. Look with me at verses 7 through 10. 
And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. Let me just stop for a moment there. If you question whether or not Paul's talking about himself in the first six verses, all you got to read is this first part here in verse 7. Because notice what he says. Lest I should be, what? Exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation. See, he was talking about himself. Because he's getting ready to say what is what happened to him to keep him humble. So notice what he says there. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me or to beat me. Lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we're going to spend the rest of our time here, the next 15 minutes or so, focusing on this issue of Paul's thorn in the flesh. The first thing I want you to notice is the purpose of the thorn. The purpose of this thorn that was given to him. And the purpose is this. It was given in case he was tempted to be prideful about the revelations. It was given in case he was tempted to be prideful about the revelations. You want to know why you live in a hard world? You want to know why that God just doesn't make everything wonderful and perfect in your life and, and, and allows you to go through sickness, allows you to go through money problems, allows you to go through health issues? You want to know why you live in an imperfect world and suffer in an imperfect world? Do you want to know why God allows that to happen? Because when you got saved, He just didn't say that everything was going to be perfect and wonderful from here on out. Because He knows our human natures. If everything was perfect in your life, how much would you need God? How much would you need Him? Let's be honest. I've heard John Piper say this. John Piper is a pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Large church. He's a theologian. And John Piper said this. If the scary thing, he asked his church this one time. It's a large church. Probably about 3,000. He said, if you could have everything of heaven, perfect health, Perfect relationships. Perfect everything. Except God. Would that be okay with you? No, you're, you're right. You're right. Yeah, see, because here's the thing. And you made a good point. You made a good point, Betty. Because if we had a perfect existence, would we long for heaven? No, we wouldn't, would we? Yeah, we would take credit for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. See, God allows the difficulties, and in Paul's life, he allowed the difficulties to keep him, what? Humble. Humble. Hey, you know what, let's be honest. We could, 
stuff happens all the time, and we can handle a certain level of stuff, right? We can handle a certain level of stuff. What we can't handle is the stuff that's out of our control. Isn't that true? That's the one that knocks us for the loop. I mean, to a certain point, we expect problems, like, you know, getting up and looking outside and seeing a flat tire. Oh, I picked something up on the road here in Kerwinsville. Wonderful. You know, we, we you know, so I got to get out and put the, you know, we, we can handle those kind of things, right? Oh, we're a little irritated. We got to go to Walmart and get it patched or replaced or whatever. Wonderful. We can live with those, right? It's irritating. We can live with that. What you can't live with is being told you got cancer. What you can't live with is maybe having an automobile accident and the person that hits you and smashed up your vehicle doesn't have any insurance. And your insurance company is giving you fits about it. See, those things bring a reality to life. And the reality is, is that we need somebody. Isn't it true? We need somebody. You know, there's, there's, you know, 9-11, six years ago, almost six years ago, should have communicated something to our country, but if you notice, it didn't. It should have communicated to our, how desperately we need God. I hope it communicated that to you, because obviously it should have communicated to all of us that we have no control over the stuff that happens in our lives. Is it not true? And the apostle here in this verse says that he was given, it was given in case he was tempted to be prideful about revelations. You know, a few months ago I read an interesting book, a great book actually. It was a wonderful book actually by uh, John Eldridge called Wild at Heart. Guys, I would suggest you read it. And I had an epiphanal moment halfway through the book. It was like a, like all my life just kind of went right before my eyes as I read halfway through that book. It's a book for men. First, well, ladies, you can read it, but it's a book for men. And because he talks about how God wounds us in our wounds. Because if we try to bring healing to our wound, we actually bring destruction to our lives. But that God wounds us in our wounds so that we then become dependent upon Him to bring healing. And this is what Paul's talking about. In his life, God brought a thorn to keep him humble in case he would get lifted up about the things he experienced. So, then I want you to notice the description of the thorn. The description we see in verse 7 again. First thing, Paul uses the word thorn, which describes an instrument of torture. So first of all, before when you read this word thorn, I don't want you to think of the thorn on a rose or a patch of briars. That is not what he's talking about here. In our minds, when we think about thorns, that's what we're thinking about. Or, you know, the, the prickers on, the, on a thistle plant or something. It's irritating. It's aggravating. But that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is really, the word means an instrument. It's like a stake. It's like an instrument of torture. An ongoing instrument of torture, of agony. It's interesting. Some of you have back problems. Just last week, 
something happened with my back, and I was laid up for two days. And, and I have allergic reactions to Advil and things like that. So, really, all I can do is Tylenol, extra strength. And it, it got to where it was, it wouldn't even touch it. And you can just ask Lori, I, don't live with me when I'm undergoing that, okay? And, and, I, and as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, you know, I could live with a pain that just, you know, hit me upside my knee with a baseball bat or something, but, you know, I can live with that. But I can't live with this back stuff because it's like it's not going away. It's just ongoing. Some of you who have back problems know what I'm talking about. It's just like an ongoing pain. Then the thought occurred to me, it's like what Paul's talking about here. It's an instrument of torture. An instrument of torture. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about just one painful experience. He's talking about a, a something was given to him. He describes it as a thorn that was a constant source of pain and agony in his life. Because that's what torture is, isn't it? Something that's out of your control. That's being inflicted upon you. Out of your control that's being inflicted upon you. So the physical nature of it, Paul describes what's happening to him as like an instrument of torture. But he also says it has a spiritual nature. So let's, let's just talk about this for a second. Paul describes the affliction as the work of the demonic. Notice how he describes it in verse 7. He says this, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. See, Paul's going to give you both a physical dimension of what's happening as well as a spiritual dimension. You say, is that possible that that possibly involved with his affliction here is a spiritual issue, a demonic issue? Yes. All you've got to do is think go back to the book of Job in the Old Testament. Remember Job? Remember Job records something that Job didn't know at that point when it was happening, that there was this interaction with God and Satan, and God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, that's because you've got this big hedge of protection around him. You let me have him and we'll see what he, you know. And God says, okay, take everything but his life. And what does he do? Takes his kids, takes his wealth. Then again, there's another interaction in the book of Job. And Satan says, well, yeah, but you didn't let me touch him. And God says, go ahead and afflict him. But don't take his life. See, there, there, there is a spiritual dimension. I mean, can I remind you of something, guys? I have to remind, I, I, I have to bring this up every time I can get a chance to you. We, we don't see demons under every rock here, but I do have to make you aware. You have a real enemy. You have a real enemy. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is a lion that's going around seeking to devour who he can. And he hates you. He hates humanity in general, but he specifically hates you if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He hates you. Because he knows your destiny is sure with Christ. And so he seeks to destroy you. He seeks to destroy your life. He seeks to destroy your marriages. He seeks to destroy your kids. Paul says that there was an affliction given to him. It wasn't just spiritual in nature but it was demonic in nature also. It was demonic in nature. 
And so then he says, again, the purpose of it, the purpose of the affliction was to keep him from being prideful. The purpose of what he was undergoing was to keep him from being prideful. You say, boy, that's an awful extreme whatever has got to happen to him to keep him from being prideful. That's how deep-rooted pride can be. Can I tell you what God hates more than anything? And it isn't homosexuality, although that is wrong in God's eyes. The number one sin that God hates more than anything is pride. Because it's out of pride that all the other sins come. And so, to deal with Paul's pride, he gave him this issue, this problem, this thorn. So I want you to notice now verse 8. 8 gives us how the apostle responded. I want you to notice what it says. And I grit my teeth and bear it because I knew it was what I should endure. Is that what he says there? No. Look at what he says. This is the natural. If you think Paul's a super Christian, Paul's a human being just like you and I. Notice what he says. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with God, with the Lord, three times that it might depart from me. Notice what Paul's response was. Paul asked God to remove the thorn three times. Sounds like you and me, right? And notice the word plead. He, the word there is plead. He's pleading more than just once. He's, he's, it's human response to what he's undergoing is to ask God, notice what he did ask that you and I would do. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. Take it away from me. And see, that, that's the natural human response. You know, that's the natural human response. Can I, can I be honest with you? Sometimes when I, I get disturbed by when I deal with people that they're going through a tough time and, and, and they're going through a struggle or they're going to, uh, with, they're dealing with some sort of affliction in their life. What disturbs me is that they think that it's wrong for them to cry out, to grieve, to hurt, to be burdened. Ever met people like that? It disturbs me that for some reason we have, in our Christian circles, have developed this thinking that the proper Christian response to hardship in our lives is to act like it doesn't happen. So we tell people, after they go through a difficult time, after a little bit, we give them a few days, and then we'll say, don't you think you need to snap out of it? And then we think there's something wrong with them if they haven't snapped out of it. Isn't that true? See, if we think that way, can I be honest with you? We've bought into the lie. See, that's not biblical. When you look here, the apostle, with what he's going through, his natural human response is to what? God, take it away from me! Not just once. Three times. And you know what? Listen. The book of Psalms. You know what the Psalms are? Most of the Psalms are what we know in Hebrew poetry as laments. 
the cries of the heart of the psalmist concerning injustice or pain or affliction that he's going through in his life. They're the cry of the heart. Here's what don't you see. Here's what he, then God says to him. Instead of taking the problem away from him, verse 9, notice what verse 9 says. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So here's what God told him. God stated that the Lord told him that his grace was sufficient for him. God doesn't promise to take away your problem. God doesn't promise to take away the hurt. God doesn't promise to make everything rosy in this life. That's what heaven is. That's where our focus needs to be, that one day there will be no more tears, no more pain, as the Scripture says. But what God does say, and he said to the apostle, is is that my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And so he says that. So here, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Now, the problem with us is that we don't like to admit our weaknesses, do we? Especially in our culture today. Nobody wants to admit that they're weak. And so we carry that over in our relationship with God because that's the thing that's key. It's for you to go and say to him, God, I can't handle this. But nobody wants to say that, do we? He already knows you can't handle it. He already knows that you can't endure it. His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so then I want you to notice verse 10. And he's not crazy, but verse 10, notice his response there. Because of God's grace, Paul looked forward to hardship. What? Is he nuts? How many of you look forward to problems? I just can't wait to see what's going to happen to me this week. Usually when we make a statement like that, we're thinking about something wonderful happened. But how many of you would say, I can't wait to see what kind of problem I'm going to have. I can't wait to see how much money is going to get drained out of my bank account for something else that happens. How many of you are like that here? Nobody. But I want you to notice what Paul says. Verse 10, and we'll close with this. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. Why? For Christ's sake, for For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Because he experiences the power of God in his life to get him through it. Let me close with this thought. Some of you here, you maybe have a thorn in your life. Or a thorn-like experience in your life. Look to God. Look to him. He's the only one who will bring you through it. He didn't promise to take it away. But He will give you the grace to see you through it. He will give you the grace to see you through it. Let's pray.